Ireland Talks podcast, Real Conversations. Hello and you're very welcome to Ireland Talks podcast. I'm Kevin Byrne. Joining me on the podcast today is a singer, songwriter, storyteller and TV presenter. And as he would say himself, a dreamer. Hailing from County Cork and who after 20 years of recording is about to release his own independent album, 100 Snow White Horses. John Spillane, you're very welcome to Ireland Talks podcast. Thank you so much, Kevin. Lovely to talk to you. You began your musical career playing bass in rock and heavy metal bands such as Sabor, is that right? And Stargazers. I think Stargazers was a jazz band. Was that right? Yeah. Um, yeah, I started playing in rock and roll bands at school, Kevin, and I played the bass guitar and I was we had a band called Bootless. And we had a band called Sabre. And then I kind of branched out into, um, you know, various other styles of music. And um, yeah, it's been great. It's been a great blast. So you transitioned uh, effectively from heavy metal rock into the to the folk scene in Cork, which which Cork has a huge folk scene, doesn't it? It does. Cork has a very healthy um, music scene, and in fact, Ireland has a very healthy music scene. And you know, I'm always surprised when I go to other countries, um, at how you realise what a brilliant music scene we have in this country. Yeah, people don't realise it, you know. But in a lot of countries, European countries, there is not such a vibrant underground on the ground number of gigs happening yeah so um cork yeah um when i was in the rock bands there used to be football matches like i mean so like i'm i'm 60 now nearly i'm nearly 60 so like in the late 70s when i was playing when i was 18 or 19 we used to have soccer matches in cork between the rockers the folkies and the punks okay and um the rockers were very good at the football they were mostly sir henry's hard rock cafe guys who played in rock bands the folkies were more the Phoenix bar. Yeah. Um, they were really good at the soccer. The punks were a disgrace. Yeah. Um, drinking cans and smoking joints on the pitch and losing the match. Yeah. But they were but they were brilliant in another way. And um, I think that when I got a kick in the shin of Johnny Fang, it turned me um, from being a rocker into a folkie. Okay. And yeah. and when you went into the folk scene, did the rockers slag you? Did the, the lads you left behind, did they give you a bit of shtick over it? Like, no, you see what happens is that you kind of grow up and um, like a lot of the rock bands break up, you know, I yeah. mean, you know, the rock bands were very passionate and very intense. And I mean, like with, in my case, like we went professional. I left my job in the bank and my friend left a job in high burning insurance yeah. go full time with the band. And we were very passionate about it. So, um, so the rock, the rock bands, I suppose they all broke up <laughs> except for you two, you know, yeah. and um <laughs> You know that's the way that's the way things went, but um, the the folk scene in Cork at that time like was really magical. I mean, there was great great um, folk music in like traditional musicians of a very high standard. Jackie Daly like was a god on the accordion. Seamus Cray on the fiddle. It was Jimmy Crowley in Stoker's Lodge. Yeah. Then you'd have vi- visiting at people would come to Cork like Christy Moore, Dolores Kane, for example. I yeah. mean, she kind of blew my mind the first time I heard her singing. So I got into all that. And and growing up in in Cork at that time in the music scene, it must have been great crack. And you know, at that time when you turned professional, was it always about getting, uh, you know, a record label and and so on? You know, obviously that's every musician's dream is to is to get a a record label to um take you on board. Was that difficult? And or, or did you care about it? Well, I don't think we had got to that stage, if you know what I mean. Like yeah. we were just we were just trying to get some songs together. But there was already the um, 
the battle was going on about b- between doing original music and doing covers. And like my my philosophy was, you got to do your own stuff if you're going to get anywhere. Like you yeah. have to develop the writing and develop yourself as a writer. Whereas a lot of guys in the rock scene said, no, no, we'll do the covers. We'll make the money from doing the covers. Like there's a scene like, yeah. you know, and then when we get the money from doing the covers, we'll do our own stuff. And I'm saying, well, if you put it off at all, it's never going to happen. Yeah, exactly. You know, it's it's kind of now or never, and um, and, and that's the way it goes. Yeah. yeah. And your your first gig was dominated by one song. Tell me about that. Uh, what story is that? No, Kevin. Sorry. So your first gig, the first gig you ever done, I think, when you were you were seventeen, there was one song. You hadn't got many songs, I think, for the gig, and there was one song. I think it was three times a lady, and you had to play it a good few times. Oh yeah, that story. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, because like when you say my first gig. There's a lot of different versions of that because, um, yeah, um, but actually, yeah, that would have been when I was, um, I'd say 17 or 18, yeah, and it was Christmas Eve. And uh, my friend Tony, who was resourceful, he got us a gig, get a few bobs singing in the pub in Barrack Street, mm. O'Neill's. I think it's gone now, it's well gone, but um, um, there was great pubs in Barrack Street, like it was so there was about like 25 pubs in Barrack Street, man. There yeah. was um, the lamplight, this was O'Neill's, um. But anyway, yeah, we couldn't really play. I mean, we had songbooks like with yeah. chords and we had two acoustic guitars and a little lamp. And uh, I think we had a mic and stand and we were bluffing. But um, I'd say we knew a few songs, but Three Times a Lady was the hit. So that, <laughs> that could place it historically. Yeah. And there was one guy there who was a bit locked like and um, he said, um, I'm a good old chanter myself. Yeah. Chanter like was all the talk. Yeah. I'm a, I'm a fair old chanter myself, like, and he was singing three, once, twice, three times a lady, which we backed. And I'd say, you know, people, when they get locked, they just go into the loop, Kevin. That's and it. I'd say we did, we did it over and over. So that's the story. Sorry, I, could, I got mixed up with ah, the story. Not at all, the no. story with the first gig with the band, the first gig solo, you know, various um, initiation ceremonies. But um, that night anyway, which was Christmas Eve, um, there was a lot of drink. And there was a, I think there was a pool of drink. I think there was an inch of beer <laughs> on the ground. And there was a dig thrown and the ambulance came and the guards came and the whole thing <laughs> dissolved in a in a mad mayhem, you know? Pubs used to be mad. Yeah. I mean, Christmas Eve was mad, but I mean, what was even madder was Stephen's Night. Mm-hmm. Anyway, that's the, that's the story. Thank you. And, and that was your introduction to the to the, the gig scene as such? Yeah, you know, I mean, like... Bit of crack, we, really. We, we were bluffing, but you could get away with murder, you know, with a guitar and a few cards and a songbook. Yeah. Um, but... But it was always great fun, you know, and it still is always great fun. And John, you know. the, the you got into obviously doing television and television presenting with T.G. Carter. Uh, I was looking at a great um, one you done where you went to Senegal uh, in West oh, yeah. Africa. Uh, what was that experience like? And, and were there similarities between, say, their music and and our music, or or how did you find that whole experience? Well, that was brilliant. Like two weeks in Senegal, West Africa. Um, T.G. Cahar, it was a brilliant um, company called Maga Media based in uh, Connemara. Yeah. See, a, lo- a lot of great things happened from T.G. Cahar. You know, I think T.G. Cahar gave an enormous amount of richness, riches to the country in Absolutely. terms of, in terms of um, documentaries and music. And, um, you know, so like I got into the Irish language and um, I'm good at Irish. And um, yeah. like what happened was when I went, when I left the bank to be a rock and roller, my mother was very distressed about it. Mm. And she said, go to college. I'll pay for it, you know? Yeah. Um, so I went to college uh, anyway, and I eventually, and I did a, 
a degree in Irish and English, but I got really into the Irish. And for me, it tied in with the whole trad folk scene. Yeah. And I used to be down in Balavourney. And uh, at that time, there was a big recording studio in Balavourney in West Cork called Studio on Tulloin, uh. which was in the Gaeltacht and run by Ty Kelleher. And um, a lot of great records were recorded there. And I used to go down to Balavourney and, um, you know, I was into the whole Irish yeah. thing. And the, the scene in Coulee, like, was brilliant. You know, like, I mean, people would know of Irla O'Lenard, uh-huh. but there's, um, you know, from the gloaming. And, um, but there's um, Padre O'Riada and uh, the, 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 the O'Sullivan family and great singing and great traditions of songs in Coulee and Balavourney in the yeah. Muscari Gaeltacht of West Cork. Yeah. And then I went down to West Kerry, um, you know, learning Irish and then, uh-huh. um, that was kind of before it was profitable or popular, yeah. you could say. And we never thought there would be such a thing as uh, TG Cahar, Telefish yeah. Nagoelga. I mean, that was like, and when that was mooted first to have an Irish language um, TV station, it was widely attacked. Yeah. Hugely attacked. Yeah. Like, especially in um, what we would call the West Brit uh, Dublin yeah. Kind of crowd. Yeah. <laughs> For want the, of a better word. The Donnybrook D4. The Donnybrook D4. <laughs> Yeah, well, that kind of there's a, there's a mentality, you know, in Ireland. Some some parts of Ireland, they, they maybe feel more part of England or something. I yeah. don't know, but yeah, but uh, but anyway, it has been a great success. So sorry, I'm digressing. So so I was lucky that I was a professional musician looking for work and that I was fluent in Irish, oh. and uh, it gave me some brilliant gigs. Yeah, uh, and um, this was a series called Kjol Hort um, Music Visit, and they sent five or six Irish musicians to various parts of the world and um, to explore world music and the links between Irish music and world music. And then yeah. um, there were some brilliant shows there. And then um, more than Nick Olive, she went to the Bulgarian Le Voix de Bulgare, you know, that beautiful Bulgarian women's yeah. choir singing. Yeah. I was sent to Senegal to explore the roots between the Irish Bardic tradition and the, the griot tradition of West Africa, which is um, Bardic. And one of the things that makes Ireland different from other countries is that we had bardic schools here for centuries where we had a, a class of professional poets um, and also a huge respect for learning and poetry. Yeah. And um, in the bardic system in Ireland, it came from father to son and it was male. And uh, they said if a woman got the gift of poetry, the gift would leave the family. Yeah. And uh, anyway, um, it was like the O'Dalegs, the, the Machavard, um, O'Higgin, Certain families had the poetry and were professional poets, and some of them were very prosperous, you know, because every Gaelic lord had his um, his bard. Yeah. And there was a lot of Gaelic lords. So anyway, um, so in West Africa, you have to be born into a certain family to be a griot. Okay. Or griot, or griot, and certain families have it, and it goes, gets passed down, but with women and men. And um, anybody who's on television, as like a television presenter, or even maybe somebody doing a podcast would have to be from one of those families. Okay. Anybody who becomes a singer, broadcaster, entertainer, um, that's the way it goes. Would have to be from from one of those families, or else yeah, you couldn't do it. Day. Extraordinary, yeah. extraordinary. Like Nusu Yusu Undor, am I saying it right? Nusu Undor, I'm saying it. all these guys. But we, but we visited them. Um, Baba Mal, who's a very famous African singer. Yeah. And um, I think his roots are in Mali, but he lives in Senegal. Yeah, but he um he was born as in, in the caste of a fisherman. Now this society it's it's French speaking and it speaks 
like at least two other native languages as well, Pular and Wolof and the, these languages. And it's a Muslim, French, West African society. And um, he was not allowed to be a musician, but he said because his father was a fisherman, he was in the caste, caste system like mm. a fisherman. But he came, he got around it because he said, like, my, my, my talent was there for all to see. Yeah. It was so obvious. Like, but um, he got a job as a guide to a musician called Mansour Sek, who was an old blind guitar player. So because he got a job as his guide that allowed him to get into the, the, the scene. Rio, yeah. um, crowd. And he did his apprenticeship through Mansour Sek. But the guide was a kind of a way around the system. Incredible. Mm-hmm. And and then you did uh, Spalan Unfana, uh, the Spalan the Wanderer. And I'm, I'm kind of interested in that because you travelled around a lot of towns and villages in Ireland. And, you know, did you find is the old folklore still there or the gras for it? Like, the, you know, that old tradition of Ireland, is it still there? Yeah, completely, man. I think so. I think very much so. And um, like that, that, that thing, like all these jobs, I guess, I mean, they didn't really come from me. It's like, like that. Yeah. Like with TG Cahar, what you had happening was a lot of small independent companies. Production companies, um, yeah. Pitching ideas uh. and uh, coming up with uh, imaginative ideas. And um, so it was a, a company called Maga Media and um, brought me to Senegal. Uh. And then it was a company called Forefront based here in Cork, sent up, set up that, um, excuse me, that um, series called Spillan on Fawny, yeah. uh, The Wanderer. And it was... Um, so basically, um, yeah, I went the idea and it wasn't my idea, but, I, you know, it was built around me kind of because yeah. it's kind of what I do anyway. You could say like um, travel around and play gigs. So um, I went to a town, small country, rural towns, and I worked behind the counter in the local pu- public house for a week and got to know all the local characters, the history of the town, the music of the town. The pub was like, you know, the centre. And it was like the circus coming to town in a lot of these towns because they all came in to see what was going on. And then, then I explored the folklore and uh, the history of the town. And then I wrote a song at the end of it. Yeah. And um, it was a great series so, and, 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 and thank you. so interesting to, to look at it. And, and obviously you were meeting the characters. And I suppose, you know, when when you think of what it is now for those villages and towns, it actually must be terrible because they don't have that centre of the town to go to anymore so it, it's kind of sad in a way and you would have experienced what it was like uh, I suppose not as a barman but you were there for a week to experience the, the area so it must be terrible for them now at, at, at the minute Yeah well I mean I, I think you know the pub culture has been dying for quite a while Yeah, I mean it's been dying since the year um, it's been dying for 20 years anyway Yeah, um, I think something happened with the smoking ban with the introduction of the euro yeah. the prices went up People started drinking at home. Wine became a thing. A huge thing, um, yeah. And the offies became, you know, all the different factors. Yeah. The, the, the off-license drink got really cheap. So um, the young crowd very often don't go to the pub. They more like have the nagging, you yeah. know, on the side. Yeah. So um, the culture has been changing for quite a while. Um, but still, I mean, like the thing about Ireland is like, I'm a kind of an enthusiast about Ireland. I'm a kind of a, if there is a word, a Herbert. Hibernophile, is that a thing? <laughs> I wonder. Hibernophile, um, yeah. If there is an Anglophile, um, Hibernophile, mm. something like that. So, um, what I find is that, like, you don't, you only have to scratch the surface here, in this country, in any place, to get an enormous amount of history. Yeah. To get an enormous amount of folklore. Yeah. And the Irish language is kind of 
under the surface don't you know it's you know it's only not that far down no and um um so so there's loads it's like a huge um complicated board game yeah um this country so um so you know i think the old things will continue it's not the end of the world no we'll get back to normality at some stage says you the new normality, yeah. The new more, the new normality, and and what is it like for you then, gig wise? I know you're doing a lot of stuff online. Uh, you're doing stuff with the bars and Clonakilty uh, live on Facebook. How has that been, and and the reaction to that? It's been nice, you know. I mean, like, I think we were all kind of in shock, really, at the start. You know, I mean, I I cancelled most of my work got cancelled for the year. Yeah, and um, but I, I'm not in a bad position because I do have an album recorded and ready to go, which I will bring out next year. But it's good to have it in the can, you know. Yeah. What I mean, the work is is done, and um, yeah. So I, I streamed a few gigs at home, um, from home for a while, and I continued my monthly residency from the boroughs of Clonakilty. Yeah, uh, from home for the first few months, and then from the from the venue itself the last few months, and now next month I'd say we will have a, it'll be a mixture of a real audience and a streamed audience. Yeah. So. Um, I'd say you're looking forward to getting back to the real audience. Ah, uh, yeah. I mean, you. It is difficult to do um, an hour to a camera. Yeah. You know, with no feedback between the songs. Yeah. Because like I kind of thrive on a bit of banter. Of and I've been finding that my banter has been failing me lately, and I think maybe it's time for a new, um, a new script or something. You know. <laughs> yeah. But but I'm going to the Roisin Dove now, and uh, in a few days' time, to do um, a gig in Galway and. Yeah. Um, Sure. Look, I mean, you know, I have a great, I have a great life. You know, I, I, mean, I think I, that's I drive, that's this coming yeah. Sunday, John. Is it in the Roisin Dove? It is. Yeah, this coming Sunday in the Roisin Dove. Yeah. Sunday the thirteenth. Thirteenth of yeah. September, and um, you know, I'll enjoy the drive up, and um, I like to drive up through Mitchellstone, and I like to go through um up around by the Gap of Aherlow and up yeah. knock on you. I'm into all this mythology and stuff. Like I'm a kind of a mythology nerd. Yeah, and uh, up to Galway, then the city of the tribes. Uh, playing the Roisin Dove, how bad, you know? Yeah. Um, so I'm looking forward to it, yeah. John, do you take a lot of, it? just just as you mentioned, driving there, do you take a lot of, like, could you be driving along from various parts to in the country? And, and you know, do, do you take, does a lot of your writings come from that? I know you have one song, The Land I, I, I Love the Best. Uh, I'm not sure if that's the pr- proper title, but it's a real deep song about the, the, the land and, and, and Ireland itself. But do you, do you find that th- those type of songs come to you when you're out and, and, and about around the country? Oh, absolutely. You know, I mean, uh, um, so The Land You Love the Best, you know, was really, I wrote for my Auntie Frances when she was in London for 40 years and I was trying to, yeah. it was like an argument to get her to move back to Cork in her in her retirement. Yeah. Which she said she could never move back to Ireland and um, because she said we were so poor, yeah. you know, when she was a child. In Cork, and also she said because your prime minister is a, is a, a gangster. Okay, and that was Cherry Hawhey. but um, <laughs> but she that was the reason she would could never live in Ireland. Yeah. So my song, the love land you love the best, was really it's a song about like well when it, when when push comes to shove, where would you like to be laid down? You know. Yeah, yeah. What, what land would you like to receive your body like? You know, yeah. kind of a song. But um, it's a beautiful song. Oh, thank you so much. Um, thank you so much, and um. Yeah, I'm going great with the songwriting. Like I'm having a, I'm, I'm scoring goals there, right and centre, man. Um, I'm having a ball. Back of the and, net stuff. Pardon? Back of the net stuff. Back of the net stuff, man. I mean, Christine Moore's recent album is 
called Magic Nights after one of my songs, yeah. Magic Nights in the lobby bar. I've got lovely cover versions going on. I've just wrote, I've written a killer song about Crowley's music shop there in the last few weeks. Brilliant. And I have an album ready to come out, uh, 100 Snow White Horses. And that I'm getting like into a kind of a bardic, you know, um, frame of mind with the yeah. writing. And I'm um, exploring the theme of hidden nobility. Brilliant. And and, and you've mentioned Christy Moore there. And, and, you know, Christy has covered... A few of your songs, including uh, Magic Nights at the Lobby Bar, Johnny Don't Go to Balancholic, and recently uh, Goethe Toggart, which is a song he has a huge amount of admiration for. I've been at a, a few of his gigs where he, where he sang it. And uh, I think, in fact, he even visited the farm um, that's associated with this song. I think I think your, your mom, it's your mom's home place. Am I right in saying that? Uh, that's right, Kevin, yeah. Yeah. Um... I mean, Goethe Toggart is the name of the song. Mm. Now, I know it's it's unpronounceable and it's Gaelic. And who would have thought that a song with a title like that would ha- have such a a life? But it's the name of the um, the farm, the townland where my mother comes from in Bantry, County Cork. And I spent a lot of my childhood there. Um, I spent every holiday there, actually, you know, for many, many years, Easter, Christmas and summer. And... Um, I wrote a song about when my uncle Tim died in 2005, I wrote a song about the farm and I, I, I mentioned every name of, of every field in this in the farm. Right. And um, yeah, I mean, who would have thought that such a specific song would yeah. ap- have an appeal to people who don't know the place or the, the names? But we hope that like by being specific, we're being um, universal as well. Yeah. And um, yeah, Christy, like, well, Christy, as you know, is a champion, like, um, and Christy came and visited the farm um, and walked in every field and ate all the brown bread and the white bread <laughs> and was a champion. And, uh, you know, he sang the Cliffs of Dunin inside in the kitchen. Um, my Auntie Mary was there. My Auntie Chrissy was there. And it was like um, a huge vindication for me. It felt like that I was on the yeah. right track all my life that I had come to this that I brought Christy Moore up the Boreen to the house mm-hmm. and we got the Cliffs of Dunin. So he came out recently and um you know he said it's in his top ten all time favourite songs between number one and number six. And then he came out then last week and said he he was asked for his top ten songs and he put Gurta Toggart at number one. Which is Incredible. like everybody knows Nancy Spain and you yeah. know Joxer and all that but not people not as many people know um Gurta Toggart. But Christy loves it. Yeah, you know, he so does. I'm, I'm so thrilled. Yeah, he like I, I even even seen recently. He's doing the online stuff as well on YouTube, and he's played it and he's spoken about it. So it's certainly a song that's uh, it's definitely top of of his charts, which which obviously is a is a an incredible uh, honor for for yourself. It is, and you know, Christy makes so many people happy, and he entertains so many people, and um, he rings me up sometimes, and we speak on the phone, and. He, he tickles my belly like a little puppy dog, <laughs> yeah. and I go into a paroxysm of ecstasy. <laughs> Brilliant. And John, I, you know what? I want to ask you about a song you're probably not often asked about, um, Orca, Orca, The Killer Whale, a song, I think, that was written about a pod of three killer whales which were in Cork Harbour in 2001. Am I right in saying that one of the locals uh, challenged you to write that song? Yeah, um, I think it was 2002, actually. Okay. And, um, um, I was in the supermarket here in Passage West and a local lady called Rita Ford 
and the reason I think it's 2002 is because I had a song out at the time called The Dance of the Cherry Trees okay. which got a, it got a lot of radio play at that time and um, brilliant song thank you so much and uh, it got a lot of radio play this year again actually the Covid year yeah. it seemed to speak to the Covid that, that the Cherry Tree song but anyway um, I so Rita Ford says um, you have to write a song about the Wales John who else is going to do it and I said I will but I was kind of joking and she was joking but then I started, you know, I went through this thought process, which, and I learned a lot from it, but the thought pro- pro- process goes like, it's only a joke. You start off by saying, well, she's only joking, she's not serious, she's not expecting a song. And you say, hang on a second, how would you even think about starting to write a song about such a thing? Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. I usually write kind of, I had written kind of poetic, lyrical, melodic songs, you know, but um, I said, um, you know, maybe try this and try that, get into a storytelling so I had a crack off it and um, it turned into a big, long, rambling story, really a talky kind of a yeah, a bit of American gospel talky thing. But um, but the song has survived and um, a few new verses have occurred and uh, it's called Arca Arca Killer Whale. And you know who loved it? Christy Moore loved it and he had a go off it, but he never, he never right? really he never sang it. But Sean O'Shea loved it and Sean O'Shea. And Christy would both be from the generation above me, well, Sean O'Shea anyway, and yeah. um, he loved it. And it's got a lot in common with the Pucker Bulla. Okay. Which it didn't occur to me, the Pucker Bulla is what it is, is an animal going wild yeah. in, among in society. Yeah. Like within Cork in this case. So the Pucker Bulla is a story about a mad puck goat who goes on a bananas, psychedelic type rampage. Rampage, yeah. You know, and causes mayhem. And my Orca song, is a little bit like a maritime latter day pucker bullet. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a great, it's a, it's one that really uh, you can get a great laugh out of. Thank you so much. Yeah, Kevin. it's a great, it's a great song. Um, the new album uh, you spoke about as well, One Hundred White Horses. Uh, that's coming out next year. Tell me a little bit about that. It is has John Reynolds produced the album? Yeah, John Reynolds in London, and uh, like John is a champion producer who has done you know, nearly all, well, all um, Demian Dempsey's records, an awful lot of Sinead O'Connor records, yeah. um, a lot of great records, you know, and um, he, um, I went to John first in 2004, and I made three albums over there, one called Hey Dreamer, one called My Dark Rosaline and the Island of Dreams, and an album called The Gaelic Hit Factory, but it's been 10 years since I was there, like I, I came over home then and, you know, I made a number of rec- recordings in Killarney and stuff. Yeah. And um, but I went back to John and um, the last few records that I did seemed to go kind of under the radar, you know, a bit. And they were based on the songs about tones and mm. they were not as commercial. Yeah. And and um, so I thought it would be good to go to John to shake things up a bit. And um, I'm, I've been joined by Pauline Scanlon, who's a, a beautiful singer from Dingle, who has done a lot of harmonies with me. Yeah. So me and Pauline um, and John got together as a kind of a three part. And we're, we're called um, John Spillane's Lapwing Nation. And we okay. made this um, beautiful album. And um, so it's got the big production of London, but it has a big fairy tale, white, uh, shiny uh, soundscape, uh, which features an awful lot of Pauline who's got a very ethereal, light voice. So there's a sound to the record. Yeah. And um, we've got um, artwork by um, Brian Eno, who's a major international star. Absolutely, and yeah. We've, we've, we've got a kind of a vibe. We're, we're Lapwing Nation. It's kind of fairy tale, 
but it's kind of rock and roll. And so it's it's a thing, you know, it's a, I think it'll be well received. I think Brian Eno done stuff with U2 and so on, didn't he? He's a huge name. Yeah, he, he produced U2 records and all this crack, but he, as a visual artist, yeah, um, he got me to take a selfie and he did some work on it. Wow. So um, he is the, you know, he invented ambient music. He's the king of, you know, um, David Byrne records. Yes, and, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Talking heads and so it so that's rock and roll credentials uh, with John Reynolds and Eno from London and Pauline. So that's the that's the forthcoming album, One Hundred Snow White Horses, and um, and I think can it can it, it, can it be can it be pre-ordered now on johnspilland.ie? It can, it can indeed. And uh, you know, there's I have a lot of pre-orders in, and I did a funded campaign last year, uh, which was which was very successful, and um, I think you know it's something to look forward to. It'll be a it'll be a nice feather in my cap. Yeah, absolutely, John. Well, John, look, it's been an absolute pleasure to chat with you. I hope we can do it sometime again in the future. I wish you all the best with the uh, the brand new album, One Hundred White Horses. As I said, it can be pre ordered on johnspalan.ie. Uh, it's been a real pleasure to have you, John. Um, and thank you very much for joining me on Ireland Talks podcast. Lo- lovely to talk to you, Kevin. Thanks so much. We spoke about uh, Goethe Hoggart, so I'm going to finish out with that. And uh, thanks a million again, John. Thank you so much. I sing the fields, I sing the farm. I sing the house my mother was born. In Gorta Tugart, Colomon, a green jewel. Sun in a patchwork quilt of fields Between the mountain and the river In this time now and in another Where I ran free with my brothers Through the long meadow, the Conacon Rua The Ford Field, the Park Naclasha The New House Field, the Gullon Field The Clover Field, the Rushy Field where the red fuchsia weeps in the hen's garden And the angels bleed over Bantry Bay I see the house, I see the yard I see the stall, I see the stable I see the haggard and the hen's garden I see the hill, I see the well I sing the spring and the well water The flat field, the hilly field The south raygrass, the north raygrass The break and the parking, the hornan Where the red fuchsia weeps in the hen's garden
Talks Podcast. Real conversations. Find Ireland Talks Podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you find your podcast.